Celtics 4-4 four four at home this postseason. They need to win tonight in Boston to avoid falling down 0-2 in the Eastern Conference Final against the Heat. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports on by Keith Smith, the Celtic blog. And Keith, good to have you back on the show again. Let's get right to it. What's up with the Celtics at home this postseason? Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for that one. I don't think they do either. I think uh, this Celtics team, I, I don't think they're purposely making things as hard as possible on themselves over the last couple of playoff runs, but they certainly don't seem to mind it. They, they just, you know, they, they kind of go out there, they play relaxed in games where you would think they'd be all fired up and ready to go, and then next thing you know, they're, they're trying to have to dig themselves out of a hole. They've been successful, but at some point that luck is going to run out. Are there some metrics, old-time, new-time, any-time metrics that kind of back up their home court issues so far? No, not really. It's all different things. Sometimes they, they lose and they don't uh, shoot well. Other times they lose and they do shoot well. Sometimes they've lost and defended well. Other times they've lost and haven't played defense. They, they, there's no real uh, you know, rhyme or reason to it other than it's just that they, they don't come out and play when they should with the right level of focus and detail and energy and, and all the sorts of things that you would think you would have at this point in the playoffs. And, you know, that's not a problem for the Miami Heat. They're going to come out and play focused. They're going to play hard. They, they, they're not going to have to, you know, wonder. They may not always play well, but they're always going to play hard and pay attention to details and those kind of things. For Boston, it just gets a little messy and sideways on them uh, when, when they relax in these games. Jason Tatum, he goes from 51 points in Game 7 to zero fourth-quarter points in Game 1 three days later. Is that a coaching issue of not getting him the ball enough, or is that him not producing when he actually does have the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, um, you know, there were times where he was just kind of a bystander, and at those points, that's where, you know, from the sideline, you'd like to see a play call that's designed to, you know, get him a touch. Or, you know, you want to see him kind of come up and demand the ball and say, hey, I'm going to get it, like, give it to me. Um, it's going to run through me. But then when he did do that uh, towards the end of game one, he had three turnovers, you know, three bad turnovers uh, in, in crunch time in that game. And, and that's you know, a problem, too. So, you know, he can be either great and completely unstoppable as he was in the fourth quarter of game six against Philadelphia as he was in the entirety of game seven against Philadelphia. And then there's other times when he's just not so good. So it was a tough, uh, tough time to see it in game one in this one. You mentioned the uh, you know maybe run some stuff for him, you know I've only seen really the Celtics you know continually in the postseason doesn't seem like they do that a lot. Uh, is that an accurate assessment on my part? Yeah, I think that's fair. Their their offense is not a um, overly scripted one. They they have more concepts that, that they use, which are you know all right we want to attack a team in this way, and then part of what they do is they they trust that they're always going to have at least three, if not four guys on the floor, uh, occasionally even five, that can make a play with the ball in their hands. So it's kind of concept, read and react, and, and go. And that, that's where they kind of want to go with that. They, they don't run a lot of scripted stuff. But they're not unlike most teams in that sense. Very few teams run you know, very you know, scripted stuff all the time in the half court. The days of the point guard brings it up, looks over, and the coach calls a play, those days are just mm. about gone. 
That would be true, no doubt. Keith Smith, the Celtic blog, currently in the sports zone. All right, the Celtics defense. I remember we talked about this when we had you on before earlier in the playoffs, but they've had some not-so-good playoff performances. Obviously, the third quarter in Game 1 against Miami falls in that category. So why has the defense struggled more than expected, I think it's safe to say, during this postseason? Yeah, I think a lot of it is they don't have that same continuity as they had a year ago. They're getting some of that back with, with Rob Williams being back in the opening group and being available every game. But it took them a long time to kind of get back into that flow as a group uh, with that. I think they, you know, this, this game, it was weird. They're generally a pretty good transition team as far as getting back. And in that third quarter, they were awful about getting back on defense. So that's not that just, you know, you're getting fast breaks to death, but it's also – not getting back, getting in the right matchups. And then Miami, you know, their team, if they get a matchup they like, they're going to go to it over and over and over again. And part of how they were getting to those matchups was getting out and running and playing against the non-set defense. So, you know, that was a big thing where the Celtics fell apart. And some of that was they weren't getting shots to go down. They couldn't set the defense. They were turning it over. They couldn't, you know, set the defense on those plays. So that, that gave them a little bit of trouble. And then, you know, the disappointing thing in that quarter especially was they also didn't take care of their own glass. They let Miami get, I believe it was four offensive rebounds, and that's in a quarter where I think they only missed nine total shots. So that's not very good either. So that, that's another big uh, problem for, for the Celtics. That quarter was just an absolute disaster. Yeah, and actually, you, you, I didn't really realize this until I listened to the post-game press conference after that game one, but you know, they've had some third-quarter issues. What's up with that? Yeah, the third quarter issue, it's weird. It feels like it's one of those things that is a little more real than it is because when they are bad, it tends to be really bad. They've, for the most part, ironed those out um, over the last couple of seasons. They've done okay. Their bigger problem is they like to talk a lot about, well, we won three quarters of the game. And my thing is, that sounds good. But when you get demolished in the, the, the one quarter you didn't win, it doesn't really matter that you won the other two you know, by a total of six, eight points or whatever, when you're losing the, the you know, one by 20-plus points. Like, like, no no one really cares. Like, like that's, you know, to me, I, I said this like, almost exactly a year ago, and had even forgotten I said it, but that's a little bit of, you know, hey, so other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like to play? Like, <laughs> right. who cares about the rest of it? Yeah, Missoula used that, we won three of the quarters thing the other night. They got outscored, what, 44 to 25 or whatever it was in the third quarter. The other quarter, I was just shaking my head watching this. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, you know, you're going to talk about winning, you know, quarters. Like, last I checked, this is not one of those goofy summer league systems where they used to do it where it was, (laughs) you got a point for winning a quarter and, you know, a point for this and a point for that, and then that's how – you added up who actually won the game. The total is all that matters. So, you know, I, I don't know a team in the league that would, you know, be upset about losing three quarters by a point if then, you know, the, the one quarter they needed to win by four points. As long as they did that and if they won it by more, even better. Like, it only matters what the yeah. end score is. You know, that's I forgot about those. I was at some of those summer league games in Las yeah. Vegas back in the day, where it was some of the strangest stuff. You barely even <laughs> knew what the hell was going on. And who won that? Who wins the game? <laughs> what happened <Yep>. there? <laughs> All right, you mentioned Robert Williams. So Robert Williams and Al Horford finally started together, and night surprisingly, the Celtics won game five, six and seven against the Sixers. 
But this is a whole different series, different matchup. Should they be starting together in this series against the Heat? Yeah, I question if they should be because what you do when you start Robert Williams, you give them kind of a, either a place to let Bam Adebayo float or a place to hide Kevin Love. So one or the other, that that's what they're doing. And it's kind of been they started it out with Kevin Love guarded Al Horford, who, you know, Al Horford's still a very good player, still can do a lot of things. But on offense, he's, he tends to be much more of a spot-up guy. So it's not really taxing Kevin Love all that much. And then that put Bam Adebayo on Rob Williams, and then he could float off him. When they switched those up, because Boston went to, all right, we're going to do more with Horford as a playmaker and an offense initiator, they just switched it up, and then Love was hiding on Rob Williams. If you go small, Love now has to guard someone out of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or maybe Marcus Smart. Um, you know, that's the way you're going to go. Uh, maybe Derek White, and that's just not going to go well uh, for him. And you don't want to put Bam Adebayo on any of those guys because that's just inviting early foul trouble potentially. And you're taking him away from being down inside the paint where he's the only rim protector you have. So, so it really, you know, Boston's almost kind of playing in their hands. Now, game one, fully expected it because they won game six and seven. And very few coaches are willing to go away from something that just worked. They're always going to lean on, well, it worked, so we're going to stick with it. My guess is they probably run it back out there one more because I think it is getting a little overblown. They didn't get killed in game one. They were right there at the end of the game with a chance to still win it. So I think Missoula's probably going to say, hey, if we play better, the matchups are what they are. We just need to execute and play better. So I think we'll roll it back out. But if it doesn't go well in game two, you may see a change to that starting group. Talking with Key Smith, the Celtic blog. Okay, so okay. let's uh, start at the defensive end. How should the Celtics try to slow down Jimmy Butler, who's without a doubt been the best Eastern Conference player in this offseason? Yeah, this you can't get cute. Excuse me, not the offseason, but the postseason. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't get cute with him. They tried uh, doing some stuff to open the game where they pre-switched actions, so they started with a big on Jimmy Butler. And Miami went into their normal pick and roll. And then the next possession, Jimmy Butler was like, wait a minute, just get out of here. I don't need the screen. I've already got the guy I want to go against. Um, so you just got to you know, lock in. And I think you know, against him specifically, you know, mix up your coverage. Trap him on occasion. You know, double team him when he comes off one of these screen actions. When he's off the ball, try to get up and play ball denial. Don't let it get to him. Uh, if he's running in a pick and roll, you can play back you know go go under the screen and invite him to shoot jump shots now if he starts pulling up from 15 feet you're gonna have to change up that coverage but if he's sitting out around the arc you lose because jimmy butler makes a whole bunch of pull-up three-pointers you kind of tip your cap and move on because that's not his game he doesn't really want to take them he wants to get 15 to 18 feet in and shoot but you just can't get cute you got to get up on him and then you can't overreact to the other guys I mean, Miami shot the lights up. They, they, they probably will not shoot that well again. My guess is in this series, uh, you know, up over 50% from the floor and 50% from three. So just kind of you'll be a little bit more under control with your closeouts, a little bit tighter to the shooters, and you're probably going to be all right. Okay, so as far as the series is concerned, what are some other key matchups in your mind? Yeah, i got to get Jalen Brown going um, early in the game, especially if they're going to try to defend him. With someone like Max Struess, you, you just can't allow that. Struess isn't bad, but he, he can't defend. You know, I would like to see, you know, let's get Tatum going. Let, let's get the guards downhill a little bit more, get get them moving. Not always 
to score because that was a big problem. This played out very similarly to game one in the Philadelphia series, the game where Joel Embiid didn't play. Celtics ran a layup line to the rim in the first half. They did that, and then when Miami shut that off, it was like they couldn't adjust back to who they normally are. They, their game is driving kicks. You know, get to the paint and get it out to find a shooter. I think you're going to see them emphasize getting shots up from the perimeter a lot more, but you want to get those in the right way. Get the ball moving, get inside, draw the defense, get them cycling versus, you know, pull-up jump shots off the screens and those sort of things. So that that's the kind of basketball I expect to see out of Boston tonight. Okay, in addition to that, you know, what are some other things that at least early in the game that you're going to be looking for and seeing if there's some changes or, you know, some things that you think should be changed? Yeah, can they force Miami to play Kevin Love off the floor? Uh, can they get Bam Adebayo in file trouble? If you can do either one of those things, you're going to be in a better place because you'll be able to get inside on them that much more. Um, so I think that's something, you know, for the Celtics. And can you get Jason Tatum? you know, going and then maintain it all the way through. So I think you're going to see them do everything they can to kind of lock up. And then defensively, just are they a lot more engaged and focused? They lost cutters. They lost shooters. They they, they blew some stuff. Because, uh, again, I think they tried to make it too complicated and get too quick with, or cute with, with those, their coverages. So if you can lock in and do your thing, I think, I think they'll move on uh, well here. I think, you know, much like a year ago, Boston got beat in a very similar fashion. They were up at halftime. Miami had a huge third quarter. They couldn't close the deal in the Heat won game one. And then game two, the Celtics came out and absolutely blitzed them and destroyed them. That's what happened in the Philadelphia series. I think that's a chance how this could be how this plays out tonight. I think, you know, you're going to get a really good effort from the Celtics because that's generally what we get when they're in a must-win spot. Okay, so along those lines, you know, the, the betting markets are all over the Celtics in this game. They're up to nine, nine and a half in some locations. Would you uh, feel comfortable laying the nine, nine and a half in game two? Yeah, I don't I don't gamble, so I would never be comfortable, especially on this team, because they, they, they might be up 10 with, you know, a minute to go and then throw the ball away three straight times and still win and not cover. So I, I wouldn't ever be overly comfortable with them. But I do think there's a chance that they win this one going away, and it's not really close in the end. And I still think they're going to win the series. You know, I picked them to win in seven because I just knew even if the talent cap says that they should win in probably four or five, it's the Celtics not taking care of business and Miami being that good and that much respect for Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra and that crew. That's why I picked Celtics in seven. So I still feel fine with that pick, but that's only, you know, provided they get it done tonight. You can't, you can't go down 0-2 going on the road. Uh, you know, and then really expect to come back and win a series. Last up, uh, you know, Joe Mazzula. There's no question he was put in an interesting, I wouldn't say it, uh, a difficult situation because he had tremendous, you know, return. He had tremendous talent uh, when he in- inherited the head coaching job or got the head coaching job right before the season started. Certainly been under criticism in this postseason, including for me. Um, if this doesn't work out for them, if they get eliminated in this series, is there a chance that he's not back next year? I don't know what Brad Stevens' role in all this is. Uh, how does all that work, and how might it work if uh, the Celtics don't make it to the finals? I would say highly, highly unlikely. They, they, when they gave him the full-time job in February, they reportedly came with a contract extension too. So they, they're locked into him. They basically have said you know, over and over again, hey, just like Ime Udoka a year ago, he is learning and figuring it out, and he's doing it with a weakened staff. You know, he 
one, you know, you lose your head coach. Now the assistant has to come up. He doesn't replace himself. Uh, their top assistant from a year ago, Will Hardy, took the Utah Jazz job. They only kind of replaced him. Then uh, his Missoula's top guy became Damon Stoudemire, and he left the team in April. So they're really working with, you know, a lesson staff. Um, my guess is he's probably doing more as far as the day-to-day game planning stuff than any head coach in the league. I think fans would be surprised if they knew how little the head coach builds the full game plan out. He's much more of an administrator and manager at that level mm-hmm. than they are a you know, detail. They're the one breaking it all down. They're making the decision, but that's coming generally from the assistants. But because they're, 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 they have so few assistants because of the way the year has played out, you know, Missoula's doing a lot, but I, I think, you know, barring, you know, a sweep and they lose the next three games by 30-plus points, I'd be shocked if he's not the coach next year. And even then, I think he's going to be there. Most most ownership groups will not greenlight paying a guy two, three, four years uh, of salary yeah. to not coach for them. Yeah, Brad Stevens. Uh, you know, well, we know Missoula is certainly into the metrics. Is Brad Stevens into the metrics, and how much does he participate in the pregame trying to figure out maybe if there is going to be a lineup change, for instance? Uh, so the first part, Barry, um, he's been that guy since he was at Butler, and that was a big part of what attracted him uh, to the Celtics. You know, when the Celtics were looking to hire a coach, they wanted someone who was going to embrace the analytics and where the league was heading. But as far as, you know, managing the team day-to-day, no, no, nothing at all. He has said, you know, hey, I'm here when Joe has a question for me, but he doesn't insert himself that way. He, he basically told a story, I want to say it was in December or so, uh, where he said, look, I didn't want, you know, I always wanted Danny Ainge there if I had a question. And Danny was always there to help out. But I didn't need mm-hmm. Danny coming into my locker room and trying to run things. And he said, I'm not going to do that to Joe Missoula either. He didn't do a team at Udoka. It's, you know, I'm here if you need me. But, you know, for the most part, I've got other things to do. And he's talked about it at this time of year. He's scouting. He's at the draft combine. He's doing all that sort of stuff. And he's like, I just, you know, that's not my job. I'm not the coach anymore. So he's not going to be, you know, in there telling Joe Missoula, change the lineup, do this, do that. I'm sure if he has, gets a question from him, he's going to give him his opinion. But he is not running the team that way anymore. All right, Keith, I appreciate the time. Why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at KeithSmithNBA, everything I write uh, covering the Celtics. So it gets tweeted out there, everything. Uh, we're deep into off-season preview work over on SpotTrack with all the salary cap work, ton of stuff still to come there. We've got a whole bunch more team previews to come, free agency stuff, all sorts of stuff. This is uh, the busiest time of year covering games as well as ramping up uh, for off-season coverage. So, you know, but it's a lot of fun. Okay, one last last question: Are, are the Suns screwed? <laughs> the way to think, salary cap wise, player wise, you know, they've got some issues and some interesting decisions to make here to the Pierce. Yeah, I think you you can run this group back to an extent. You've got to flush out your depth a little bit this summer, but you can run them back, um, you know, one more season with, with this group and feel pretty good about that. But what you can't do is you know block in for the next three four years because. You know, having a hundred plus million locked up in you know just a handful of guys in the new CBA, it's going to be really hard to build a team that way. They're going to be very limited now. They've got flexibility with Chris Paul's contract, so they can kind of get out of that. But you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what direction. I think you know we're all getting a sense of all right. It's new owner in town, right? And it's you know he's going to want to do things a certain way. 
and that's not uncommon. That's how it kind of goes with every new ownership group. So we'll see if we start seeing a lot of major changes coming coming uh, there in Phoenix. But I, I think you're going to see a roster that maybe doesn't look super different on the top end, but I think you're going to see a lot of pieces and parts change. And then if they fall short again uh, this coming season, then I think you'll start seeing major changes up top as well. Keith, great stuff. Appreciate all the information. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Keith Smith, Celtic blog, and everything else that he mentioned there.